What's going on, Colored Commentary family? It is me, Marcus Lloyd, your host of Colored Commentary, colorful conversations by colorful people about Christianity, culture, and race. And with me, as always, in the studio, not in the studio, but in his home studio, Mr. Antoine Malone. What's happening, Antoine? Hey, yo, what's up, Colored Commentary fam? So glad you guys have joined us yet again for another one. I'm excited. I'm excited for today. I'm excited for today. We got, uh, we got, I think we can say friend after two with a comeback. We could say friend. We got, we got a friend of the show uh, to, to, to come back and hang out with us. And so I think you guys yeah. are going to be a real treat. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We'll get there in just a second. I'm going to pay the bills a little bit. You know, you guys who are listening to the show, you've been watching a lot of the work that we've been doing out uh, on the, the Facebook page and social media. We are in the midst of Black History Month and uh, over at Threaded, we are celebrating that by going through the prayer project, 28 Days of Racial Lament and Prayer. So uh, every day you can join us at 8 a.m. Uh, on the call, Central Standard Time. Uh, the number is 214 214- 617-2387. But if you can't remember that, you can always go to wearethreaded.org slash prayer and find all the information. It's a ton of fun. And if you miss the call, you can always go to our Facebook page and find me reading the racial laments and guiding you through the prayer, prayer prompts uh, each day. So that's one thing, Antoine. I know you've been having a good time on that prayer call. That's been fun. You've been enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been, it's been encouraging. It's our third time doing a kind of prayer uh, campaign. And so I think we're getting it. I think we're getting it down to a science, man. I think you yeah. guys. Would. Yeah. It's wonderful to hear all the, all the people praying at the same time. And, it's a great and way to start stories, the day. Yeah. Those stories of lament are haunting at times, uh, but it just reminds us uh, of where we've been uh, and where we need to go uh, and how we need to do things differently going forward. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of the way we're also going forward is we have got our first annual conference, Antoine, the threaded conference man we've been number one is the that. first right. one yo and <laughs> and it's I, and it's you know what man again exciting it's exciting yeah. to bring it bring it together pull it together um if you haven't gotten your registration if you haven't registered yet then um what you are need you need to do for? that yeah you need to do that let's see who do we got coming Man, it's going to be a line up. We got Sung Chan Ra in the house. We got Sandra Von Opstall, Razul Berry, Brian Loritz, Mark Charles, just to name a few. It's going to be wild. In fact, you know, our guests, we may need to try to strong arm people <laughs> coming to a session for us. You know what I'm saying? He you don't know, know he but re- just outside of his 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 uh, his house is uh, a person with some handcuffs. <laughs> the contract? No, it's just yeah, a contract. Like, you know, just, he got to be and, a handcuff. And, and some muscle. Just like, hey, you're going you gonna, you gonna to you sign this contract. Yeah, it's a big person. It's a big person. That's all right. He, we, we'll have to talk to him later about all that. Anyway, yeah, but it's, yeah, gonna be, no uh, it's a great, great stuff. If you want to register for that, you can go to wearethreaded.org slash conference. Find out all the speakers. Check out the sessions. It is virtual, so you can, you can watch in your draws. You can just be there hanging out listening. You got, uh, you know, you got a uh, question and answer. You can put the questions out there and you can get immediate answers to some of your questions during the Q and a uh, it's over. It's, it's over 20 days, right? So you can find it and it's easy. You just pay the price, yeah. go to anyone you want, but you get access to all the sessions for a little while after that. So it's, that's it's right. A, so if you, I mean, if you can't of, make it, so if you can't make it live, then for a little yeah. while you'll have access to all 12 and that's oh, cool. That way you can watch it at your own pace and get in. But the, the moneymaker is getting in live if you can getting in. and yes, get that Q&A in. You can ask some people what they're really going on. So that's that's, that's right. really exciting. Again, super excited about it. 
That's right. Following right after that. I mean, we got so much going on this year, but I'm going to just end with this one. March 27th, if you are in the Dallas area, we got Community 2021, our fifth year doing the big community. This one is called Thy Kingdom Come. And we have got Dr. Tony Evans coming in to speak. It's the doctor coming in. It's going to be fun giving us a message on kingdom and the kingdom agenda. Got worship leaders from all over the city. We have put it in the McKinney football stadium so you can stretch out a bit, social distancing and it's a neutral site so you don't have to worry who's who's leading what it's going to be wild uh we're doing that in uh, collaboration with 3e united and uh, if you want to find out anything about that you can go to wearethreaded.org and it's going to be on the front page but if you want to find out about that event and other events for other organizations our friend organizations in the area you can always go to comunity.church that's c-o-m-e U-N-I-T-Y dot church. And you can find not only our events, but other events uh, that are around racial justice. You, you do realize that our, there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole, of, there's a whole, there's a whole swath of people that, people have, no that have no idea why you just say no U-N-I-T-Y. Hey, I'm representing, baby. I, you know, I mean, I know. You know what I'm saying? And there Latifa, is a swath that do know, but, yes. the, but there's a whole bunch of you like, what is wrong with him? And how come he's always singing <laughs> this jingle? They don't know nothing about that. They don't know nothing about that. That, 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 I'm sorry. All right. That's right. So we got it all in. Okay. So let's get started, man, because we've got a, a fun guest. Okay. And we got to jump make in. Sure he gets all the time he needs, right? This is uh, one of New York Times best selling authors for uh, this book that I'm sure a lot of people know The Color of Compromise. He is the president and co founder of The Witness, a Black Christian Collective co-host of a, a great podcast that we listen to, almost a sister podcast or a brother podcast, a cousin, cousin podcast, cousin. pass the mic. That's right. He is currently working on his, P, still working on his PhD in history at the University of Mississippi, studying race, religion, and social movements in the 20th century. Please welcome back to the show, our friend, Mr. Soon-to-be doctor, Jamar Tisby. What's happening, Jamar? <sighs> How you doing? Hey, what's going on, brothers? Thank y'all so much for having me again. In the midst of all you're doing, the busiest black men in podcasting is <laughs> for real. Hey, you ain't said nothing wrong right there. <laughs> nothing boy. wrong. We ain't got right. nothing. Hey, you know what I mean? We, 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 have we been definitely able to, ain't sitting down. Uh, we, we we just have, this is the problem is we've been so busy we hadn't been able to write books. You know, we we gotta oh, get some time okay. to, to write books. <laughs> <laughs> now you in, you in the people's ears, you giving them what they need in the way they hey, need. It. So so hey, it's we all try good. We're gonna, to, we're gonna, I like that cousin podcast definitely. That's right, man. You guys are doing some great things over there. We know we we try to do a few things over here. We we try to show people, send people to you know Truth Table, and you know there's some there's some black people out there doing some stuff right now, <laughs> That's and some, right. That's some right. younger some younger versions of it. You know what I mean? And so we just want to give everybody, uh, we want to give everybody props and do we we gonna need everybody in this. So we're we're real big. One of our big key things at Threaded is collaborating with mm. others, and so we're looking for ways to raise people up and and give them a stage. And so that's why, yeah, man, we bring people like you on here so well uh, i, I gotta get a, a wild year i gotta give a shout out to dallas um for for our podcast you know you look at the metrics of the you know most yeah. downloads of the cities y'all aren't number one oh which number two okay we will take it we will take that i may uh we may take a little credit for that because we talk about podcast we talk there about you go <laughs> we traced it back just, to the yeah, source we, right? we knew it <laughs> <laughs> finally yeah <laughs> now Jamal, oh, look, it's uh it's been a crazy year since you were last on the show last time you were on the show you mm. were talking to us about the color compromise uh the history of race in the church and i don't know 
2020 had some stuff going on in it. You know what I mean? So, I mean, just, you know, generally, generally, you know, how's the how's the year been going for you and your ministry? You know, uh, it's that dichotomy, right? Like where racial justice, racism, white supremacy, all that stuff has been a topic of national conversation. But the reasons why are always tragic. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, as we record this, it is supposed to be uh, Trayvon Martin's 26th birthday, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. he's not here because of racism. So um, it's always sobering. And we can look back at 2020 and, of course, the racial justice uprisings that took place for months and months and months of that year, um, spurred by the lynching of Ahmaud Arbery, the murder of Breonna Taylor, the murder of George Floyd and a slew of other events. Right. So it's always that 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 burden of. seeing our people being hurt, seeing our people be oppressed and exploited, but at the same time, trying to redeem the time and make sure that uh, those opportunities, those lives are not um, unacknowledged and that we mm. use it as uh, the the momentum and the impetus to challenge the status quo and work for racial change. Yeah, man. And, you know, you just gave us kind of a, a rundown of several different events that kind of you know, spurred uh, lots of action in the midst, lots of action and in, in, uh, introspection for so many people in the midst of the racial justice conversation in 2020. I'm curious, just, you know, I, I think all, all of the, all the things that you mentioned, obviously ridiculous uh, is super important for us to remember, but I'm curious, was there one particular incident that hit you more the other, and hit you more than the others that impacted you maybe a bit more personally than the, than the others? You know, so often with these things, it's not one single event. It's the cascade of events all at the same time. And so even though these um, uh, crimes that I mentioned happened in at different points, they all kind of came to public knowledge around the same time. Right. But one of the things that that really gets me is is actually fortunately not where someone ended up dead, but it was just another case of the absurdity of racism. And this is uh, Christian Cooper bird watching <laughs> in Central Park. That's, yes, And that happened the exact same day that George Floyd was murdered, May 25th. Yes. And um, I mean, what could be more innocuous than walking in the park and watching birds? Like, like the, the least threatening, <laughs> the least yeah. like uh, uh, overt, it's just, it's mind boggling. And yet, this white woman called the cops because the black man had the audacity to tell her, put her dog on a leash, which the sign said. Right. And yeah. then acted as if she was in you know, mortal danger from this man. And it, it, it gets me because it is so quotidian. It is so normal. It is so mm. you know, commonplace. It can happen to anybody, yeah, right. anywhere. And that is what is so exhausting about racism. Like you could be bird watching yeah. <laughs> and be caught up in a potentially deadly situation. So those kinds of things, you know, the, the, the murders, obviously, because they take a human life are so weighty, but it's almost the, the, the opposite kind of events where mm. it's just everyday pedestrian kind of stuff that can end up in a crisis situation. That stuff is exhausting. Well, yeah, and for no, me, yeah. and for me, on on top of that too, is just the the general sort of dismissal 
of that behavior. So there's the there's the racist act that's ridiculous and obvious and clear when it is. And and then there's the well, there's the there's the treatment of that as though it were nothing, as though mm. it were extra Not or, that on big the, a deal. or on the fringes. Sensitive. Yeah. Right, right. Or or what have you. And and um and that's almost worse than the than the in the act itself, it's one it's thing. It's gaslighting. To, to, yeah, yeah. It's one thing to see somebody do any. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It's one thing to have them do that sin. It's another thing to to do nothing, say nothing. You know about it, especially in its most obvious forms. You know, there's some that is not so obvious. You got to read into and learn and do all these things. But some well, of them are just look. This is clearly this, man. Y'all, you just <laughs> just just say what it is and let's and let's do it. We shouldn't be arguing about this one. Like this Doing one should be it should be clear. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It is. It is. Um, and and that's what folks need to understand. It's like the gaslighting is so constant to where whatever you bring up, no matter how obvious, no matter how overt the example, doesn't matter. There's going to be the person who says, "Well." Mm. Are you being too sensitive? Did yeah. they mean it that way? It could right have been now. this. And then you look, I mean, obviously we've experienced the manifestations of racism all of our lives. And so we know it when we see it, we've experienced it, we feel it. But at the same time, when that happens so often, you start looking around like, am I am, am I the one who's yeah. off base here? Yeah, exactly. yeah. I think you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's, it. what we're talking about is, is trauma, right? Mm. Like there's just, there's just this deep trauma. And I, I love that you said that about Christian Cooper, because that was what it was for me. Mm. Um, because there was, again, there's something about when you, when you run into the police that maybe you're going to, you're going to do this. Like you, every time you're prepped for it. Right. I, you know, I think you said it a couple of years ago when we, Philando Castile, I remember listening to the podcast yeah. you did and you said something that I, that I was thinking is, you mean, I can't even be in my car with my family and it'd be yeah. safe. Like yeah. nobody's safe then. I mean, I'm, there's no place safe. And that did me in with Philando, but, but the Christian Cooper was like, like, like you can't like bird watching. <laughs> Exactly. And and it wasn't even beyond it wasn't even the beyond, beyond the just a bird watching typical black I mean, thing ever. <laughs> like like, like name, right. if, he, if name, he hasn't broke stereotype yet. I mean, what? <laughs> like, like, name me one other black need? person you know that is in the park right now bird watching. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll wait. <laughs> They'll go None, swimming afterwards. Right? I was just not joking. There, right? <laughs> <laughs> but like that's got to be even, one of the safe ones, right? That's gotta yeah. Be but <laughs> it, it wasn't even just the. It was like it was watching her exert her her supremacy mm-hmm. so intentionally, so knowingly. Going, you you think you can do what? Oh no, I'm going to use my supremacy on you, knowingly using it. It was it was it haunted me. Uh, it was uh, it was it did me in. So, I, yeah, I, I appreciate the um, the the look at that, because that's what we're talking about. It's, it's this traumatized way in which we have to see life in the very little things that ignite things in our in our minds and in our hearts. Uh, and it's not something we necessarily control. It just hits us when we go. I can't even do regular life without having to worry about stuff, you know, and you see it play out, you know, as you go through. Um, so here. So Jamar, I do I do have a question for you, kind of switching gears here for a second. So you're a believer, you're saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, huh. you know, um, <laughs> uh, with the rest of us. And so um, the church and God's movement in the church matters 
to you, I'm sure it does, especially in the space of what, what how we can bring uh, healing, gospel healing to racial conflict in our society. Uh, I'm curious, how are you feeling about God's church in America <laughs> after 2020? It depends on which branch of the church you look at. <laughs> okay. Um, so for years and years and years, we've been talking about white evangelicals and um, their allegiance, their longtime allegiance to the Republican Party stemming at least back to the late 1970s on up to the present day really came to a head with the Trump presidency where so much of the gaslighting that we were just talking about, where, you know, so many people um, were using this racially coded language, uh, these dog whistles, right? Well, Trump threw away the whistle and then pulled out the bullhorn. And now uh, it became evident even to white evangelicals what they had signed up for. So at this point, it's been very interesting to observe sort of sort of on the outskirts of what's happening. There is I won't necessarily say a reckoning because I don't know what will actually come of all this. But there is certainly a shakeup, maybe a sifting that's happening in the church overall. But we can especially see it in uh, white evangelical spaces. Uh, there are. There are folks who, because of the events of the past uh, five to six years, if not a few years more, have sensed that what they grew up with as far as the faith, particularly in terms of racial justice, ain't it. There's something wrong. And they may not know what it is, uh, but they're they're sort of deconstructing some of what they grew up with. And then there is a whole swath of the church that is digging in that uh, right. refuses to, to give any ground, double down on racism, on white supremacy. They won't call it that. But essentially, you know, that's that's where their allegiances lie. They're either remaining silent or they're continuing to support pe people who who um, just commit these egregious acts of racism, whether in word or in deed. And so there's a, a little bit of a breaking up. You can see this happening even in the literature. And so you have books like mm -hmm. Taking America Back for God, Jesus and John mm -hmm. Wayne, um, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove's work, Robert P. Jones, White Too Long. So, so these are people who have been embedded in evangelical and these are white people, uh, most of whom are scholars or activists, who are talking back to the white evangelical church in a, in a, in a more forthright, vociferous, pointed and public way than I've seen. So that's one side. Another side is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking intentionally at the black church tradition and at the church on the margins. And we're still on the margins. We still don't have all these earthly forms of power, um, whether that's political power, financial power, whatever it is. But uh, the, the, the righteousness of our cause is evident, <laughs> right? Like you're either on the side of people who separate kids from their families at the border or you're not. Uh, you're either on the side of truth that says the election was fair and legitimate or you're not. Right. And these issues, there's so much moral clarity there. And that part of the church remains disturbingly small, although it's probably more widespread than than uh, the, the, the media would like to cover. But uh, there is a there is a coalescing there. There's a strength there. Um, there's a potency there if we can find it, if we can uh, search for and find that community of like-minded believers. So those are kind of the two 
uh, that I'm you, observing. Yeah. So do you feel like that smaller group that's you, as you just articulated sort of on the edges and uh, with the righteous cause, uh, do you feel like that group is growing or shrinking? Uh, and the other side too, like, do you feel like that other side is growing? Generally, the idea across the country is that all of people who are, are paying less attention to Christian voices in general as a whole. I'm curious if, again, we may be just sort of pontificating yeah. a little bit unless you've got some research behind it. But yeah, it's definitely pontificating. One, one, <laughs> one going bigger than the other one, yeah. I mean, I would characterize it as uh, people on both sides of this racial justice line being more vocal and also more committed to each of their sides, whether for right or for wrong. But there is, especially among white evangelicals, uh, a a sort of um, small trickle, small exodus out of the more right-leaning areas. They're not quite sure where to land (laughs) yet, Uh, you know, because they've been been sort of separated or ejected from the faith community they were familiar with, and they don't know where Where to to go. go. Where to go, Yeah. 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 So, so there's a bit of that wilderness wandering, if you will. Yeah. Well, and that's, which could, that's be, which I, could be a good thing. Well, and that's that's where I think you know we tongue and cheek to the little earlier, but I think you really putting pen to paper to to really help people with your books, the color compromise, how to fight uh, racism. I think I think you've been able to grow this last year to be a voice that's guided a lot of that small crew, if you will. And again, I would say burgeoning and and growing crew, um, at least comfortably out of where they Mm. were and towards something else. And I've seen that with, you know, obviously the book and and some of the video series I've seen, you know, we've got some, some friend churches who are like, Hey, we're going through color compromise. Right. And it's like, yeah, Yeah. that's good. Yeah. My church is going through that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, your your work has been growing in its popularity. Has there been any surprises that you've seen as, as that's been happening over the last year, what's some of the surprises you've you've experienced with that? I mean, the surprise was uh, last summer when when the Color of Compromise experienced sort of a renaissance um, <laughs> because of yeah. the racial justice uprisings. Again, that's what great. we were talking about before that that sobering part that that brings attention to it, but then you're yeah. glad for the attention. Um, so it was on the New York Times bestseller list for a month, which is not something I would have ever guessed. And that was a year and a half after it came out. The book came out January 2019 and summer 2020, this all happened. So that was a big one. Um, With with How to Fight Racism, it came out January 5th, 2021. And January 6th (laughs) was an insurrection. So it was like, wow, this is (laughs) look at that timing. Um, And uh, so 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 the fact that this this conversation keeps coming up because it never went anywhere, like like the issues never went anywhere. And it just so happens that uh, we have been uh, sort of unavoidably reminded of it. I think I am pleasantly surprised at sort of stories from the field that has quickly become my favorite part about yeah. sort of writing and speaking publicly is when people People come back to you and say, hey, this is this is what I tried as far as racial justice. And and, and here's who I'm working with. I got a, uh, somebody who messaged me online saying um, they have a they have a full time day job, but but they also volunteer to teach a Bible study at an old folks home. 
And they're going through how to fight racism with like people who are 70 plus years old and white and they're like fired up. Yeah, you I, know, feel like, yeah. yo, I feel like that's like the toughest crowd. <laughs> you know, like just yeah. when you think they, 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 they're wow. setting their ways, they're not going to change. And yet they're feisty for justice. And I'm like, wow, to be able to be a part of that in some small way. It's just, you know, it, it feels like the hand of God moving um, all over the church in, in unexpected ways. Yeah, nah, it's been fun to, you know, it, there's there's a sense of when you start in some ways, we we, uh, we kind of all started around the same time, kind of in this ministry a bit. And so being able to watch you and, you know, uh, I think you were going to school with a cousin of mine. And, and so I've been mm. watching you for a little. So you feel proud. You like it's like you're you. you there's like a party at chest that puffs out. You're like, yeah, Jamar's getting it out there. Go for it, Jamar. Right. So, so it's been fun to watch that. Uh, but I also know the other side of that, like you throw your work out there to be scrutinized. What's some of the pushback that you've been consistently yeah. get from your, from your work, not necessarily yeah. personally, but maybe from the work. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, first of all, um, you know, we, we, we have to guard our peace. And so I've become very good at not reading the comments. And so I try to proactively shield myself from the, the, the stuff that's not done in good faith. Um, I try to pay attention to the critiques that are done in good faith. For instance, uh, there was an online symposium through something called the syndicate network. It sounds nefarious and shady, but it's not, it's, it's <laughs> academic. <laughs> Okay. Um, sounds like the villain, the villain network in the next. That's right. Well, it's movie. academic, so to some people, that's going to be the villain network. I, I try to stay away from those. Yeah, yeah. Well, this one, this one was uh, a group of scholars who 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 took a critical look from their respective disciplines, sociology, race studies, all these kind of things, and um, looked at. They were very gracious, but there were there was also some push. I really appreciate stuff like that. The main critiques are so like the ones that get to me, they're just so not grounded in the actual work that, you know, okay. it's ideological, right? Like, like they'll, they'll, they'll take a book like the color of compromise and say, well, you didn't highlight the Christians who fought back against racism. I'm like, right, right. that wasn't the focus of the book. The focus, I actually yeah. addressed that. Oh, yeah. You addressed that at the beginning. <laughs> and um, the reality is, if e even including those stories, they're the exception that prove the rule of compromise and complicity. So it's not even a, a sound argument to make. And then with How to Fight Racism, of course, uh, a, a lot of them won't even read it because immediately they'll jump to they've already labeled me as critical race theory. And so yeah. dangerous to be avoided, you know, yeah. skull and bones, uh, poison kind of a thing. So they Satanic. don't actually engage in the work. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, well, you're you're arguing against an enemy that's not there. Like, like the caricature that you can't name, you can't even name the enemy. Really. Yeah, name it because they're not there. Right. Um, right. And, and it's not even just the, facile interpretation of the theory is they can't actually name people who are doing what they say they're doing, mm, not right. in their circles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the people they're saying are doing that are often coming back saying, well, that's not exactly what yeah, we're doing. Right. <laughs> you know, so, so it can't be, but they don't want to listen. They're going to say, no, we're going to tell you what you're doing. Like, no, no that's here is what, <laughs> this is what yeah. I'm doing. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but, that's, but, but uh, it that's, thrives on fear. 
it thrives on fear mongering. And the Bible says there's no fear in love. Um, so this is a fundamentally unloving way to sort of uh, interact and engage with other people and other ideas because it's relying on fear. And if we do fear, we should fear God, <laughs> not other people, not other theories, which doesn't mean we shouldn't be critical, but sure. it, it, it really is um, very unchristlike, which is... What has me more than angry, it, 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 sad, you know, yeah. really, really sad for the folks who are imbibing it, the folks who are buying into it, and for the witness of the church in, in the United States. Yeah. And, you know, when, you, when I hear you talk, and I think I, I experience this when we get folks on the show sometimes, is I can feel in you the way that you're trying to articulate this well. You know what I mean? So that so that people can hear it and they don't get distracted by other aspects of the conversation, because there's so much, as we call it, word therapy going on where hmm. people will grab a word and just like they just massage it into these other things. You've got to kind of rework it. And so people get caught up in, in trying to deal with the caveats, right? Like they're coming at you for the fact mm -hmm. that you didn't caveat as opposed to mm -hmm. the content. Mm -hmm. right? right. And so so you're just trying to all day to just try to say things differently and. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned, I think, before we got on the mic that we had we'd had the wonderful pleasure of having Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil yeah. a couple of uh, times ago. She's brilliant. Um, she's fantastic. But one of the things that, you know, obviously the book that she wrote, um, she talked a little bit about how her ministry approach has evolved over time. Yeah. Right. So, uh, again, you, you've been in it for a while. Again, we haven't none of us have been in it as long as, as, as Dr. As Dr. Brenda. But has your has your approach evolved over time since, you know, pre color of compromise to now how to fight racism? It's 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 a probably a longer arc than those two books. But sure. when I first started speaking and writing publicly about race, it was it was definitely on the racial reconciliation tip. Uh, this is the early 2010s about. Sure. And uh, I would say that was kind of the the denouement and the and the decline of that. I think there was a shift in the conversation, at least among black people who were, as I call them evangelical adjacent. Uh, I think there was a shift to to um, from racial reconciliation to racial justice. And I talk about that in How to Fight Racism, where I talk about the racial reconciliation gone wrong as it has been practiced among evangelicalism. And I say there were uh, at least three issues or, or three ways it went wrong. Number one, it misdiagnosed the problem as separation, fundamentally yep. a separation. Um, number two, it did not address power dynamics. And then number three, it did not address gender dynamics, which is related to the power dynamics. Um, so, so if the problem of racism, as one would think, is separation, then the solution is get everybody together. And so this is the, you know, multi-ethnic, multiracial church movement. This is the, you know, push for diversity and all of that stuff, which is not bad. Yeah. It's just incomplete, right? right? So so the next issue that that the evangelical racial reconciliation movement failed on was uh, it didn't adequately address issues of power. So we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion. You know, diversity is 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 getting the people in the room, but equity is actually sharing decision-making power right? and making sure that, that, that these diverse voices and, and people actually have a say in how things are done. And that's not generally addressed. Um, 
on the micro level, like within a particular organization, nor is it addressed on the macro level when you're talking about laws and policies and institutions that sort of broadly govern the way we do life together in society. And then, of course, um, the gender dynamic, Shaniqua Walker Barnes, in her book, I Bring the Voices of My People, does a masterful job in uh, articulating the ways that the evangelical racial reconciliation movement particularly failed black women. Mm. And it's a it's a strong point because she shows how it could even still be advantageous for certain black men, yeah, black men, mm-hmm. as well as white men. Right. But um, it, it was particularly disadvantageous for black women. And so all of that I learned, you know, through study, but also hard experience. And so, uh, you know, I talk about, you know, how to fight racism. The subtitle is Courageous Christianity and the Journey Toward Racial Justice, <laughs> not racial reconciliation, although there is a chapter on doing reconciliation right. But I want us to focus on those those sort of broader policy, legal, systemic issues uh, in, in our um, racial justice efforts. Good. So, I, yeah, so I, 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 I was going to say, in a sense, reconciliation is is a part of justice. It's not the whole the whole bag, and so we might have made the made the uh, made the mistake of believing that if we could get reconciled, justice would come naturally. When that's exactly when when in reality, there's actual energy that needs to be put in the personal side as well as the power dynamics and the uh, in the actual policy dynamics. Yeah, because you know you can get to the factory point where you're. You know, you're learning everything you need to know. You get to relationships. And if your if your desire was to solve the image problem that you had, right, which was that, you know, you didn't have any black friends or you didn't have any white friends or Latino friends, then then you're working to get those. And once you get it, you're like the problem solved. Right. Yeah. But that's that that's not where the problem is. There's they still a go bigger home problem. And they live. Yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> unjust, got, they live in, different in lives like, of injustice. Yeah, exactly. Right. And we talk about that in Threaded all the time. You know, diversity is not an end. It's it's a it's a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, we moved in that direction. And I think that's one of the things I just again, just just knowing your work and, and, and reading this book. Let's let's transition to the book a little bit. Um, I know you were compelled to write this book for a particular reason. Was there was there a particular burden that you were trying to pass along um, to the reader, or what what kind of compelled you to to write this particular book? To prevent harm, to prevent harm uh, toward Black people, namely, but any racial and ethnic minorities, especially. We, you you asked a minute ago about any sort of. Um, you know, shifts in my approach, that was, that was a huge one for me. Um, I don't remember consciously uh, thinking about this, but, but once I started to consciously place the marginalized at the center and evaluate my racial justice practices based on its impact on the most vulnerable people, that's when a lot of my conversation, a lot of my practice, a lot of um, what I did around racial justice shifted because the other way a lot of people do it is you approach racial justice and what you have in mind is basically the most sensitive white person. And you will go only as far and as fast as the most sensitive white person will allow whether real or imagined, right? And so if we look at churches, if we look at Christian organizations, what is preventing them from from, from more aggressively challenging racism mm. is that there's somebody in their space, uh, yeah. who's typically who's white, but honestly, it could, it could span the color line. But sure. there's somebody who uh, 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 is going to push back. Yeah. 
and they're going to push back at the lightest thing. It could be an illustration used in a sermon. It could be a, a, a guest you invited. It could be a book you recommended, whatever it might be. And because you know that person is out there, then you sort of moderate and modulate your racial justice efforts based on them. When yeah. what we should be doing right. is saying, yeah, who on. are the most vulnerable people? Mm. And what do we need to do to prevent harm for them? What do we need to do to promote safety and flourishing for them rather than comforting the comfortable? Yeah. Mm. And look, that's, that's following after Jesus, right? We talk about mm. the model of Jesus who, who he had the choice when he came out of his golden gated community to, to slum it on the earth. He had a choice to, to, to go and be a king and to be born into a rich family, but he chose to be born into really one of the, some of the worst marginalized experiences that you can think of, right? Yes. And, and once he got through the teen pregnancy and the refugee experience, he ended up in a, a town that nobody thought anything good could come out of, right? So he, he lived in that space. And then when he, when he went to try to give you an aspect of how you should think about the marginalized, he, he connected himself to it. So you would never, you'd never be able to walk away from the marginalized and say that you were doing God's work. Right. It's only in walking to that you would, because when you do it for the least of these, you are actually doing it for me. Look at and that. so so centering that 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 marginalized experience, although that's not the only experience in the Bible. Right. Here's my caveat. That's not the only experience. Jesus died on the cross for everybody. He died the for world. the rich and the poor in the mm-hmm. world. But but if you watch his life and I think about Bonhoeffer talks about when you're making ethical conversation, ethical decisions. If you want to find a way to make ethical ethical decisions, center your decision making in the incarnation of Christ, mm. right? Like walk with Him and go. What, what what in His incarnation? What does His incarnation tell you about how to live life? Well, He centered Himself in, in a marginalized community. So, what does that tell us about how we should live life? And, and when I li- when I read your book, you know, again, I've, again, we've been following a while. You have your arc of of racial justice, right? You have A R C. Uh, a is awareness. Uh, R is relationships, and you cover that really well in the book. I won't give that away. But it's the C piece, right? It's that <laughs> C piece that everybody's asking about, right? So, so again, I, I want people to read the book, but, but tell us about writing that particular part, and was there a, a, a specific aspect of that section that, uh, that you feel you want to highlight even in this moment now? Yes. So you're right. Uh, the, the, the C aspect is the part that, especially in Christian circles, gets short shrift. Uh, again, going back to that conversation about the shortcomings of the evangelical racial reconciliation movement, not really dealing centrally with issues of power. And so now when people get on this journey and want to fight racism, the commitment part, insofar as it focuses on law, policy, power dynamics, that's mm-hmm. the part they really hone in on. And so um, there's a lot that goes into that. One of the things I'll say is about the structure of the book. Every chapter has uh, basically three sections. Um, one is the introduction, which has some story or illustration that kind of um, exemplifies the the point and the focus of the chapter. And then the second part is essential understandings. And the third part is racial justice practices. Every chapter has this. And so as far as um, essential understandings, when it comes to the commitment aspect, uh, you know, one of the things I say is that fighting racism is bearing witness to Christ. 
connecting this to the gospel. You just explained that so eloquently right. and so well. Uh, so I don't have to rehash that. But for Christians, connecting this to our faith. This is why if, if folks are watching the video, um, I've got a picture of uh, Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer. Fannie Lou Hamer is one of my historical heroes because she so explicitly connected her faith to civil rights activism, particularly voting rights and, and economic justice. And like that should be natural. Like that should not be the exception or out of the norm. And I think for much of the black church tradition, it is enfolded into the way we do uh, Christianity and the way we understand it. Had our to faith. Be. It had to exactly. be. Exactly. Right? It was existential. <laughs> it was yeah, survival. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and America's and, better for it. I think had we not been that, we, we you know, yes. Who knows? Well, we we might still be picking. You know, so who knows? <laughs> Look, you ain't saying nothing but a thing. Yes. Well, and we and we're helping release even our white brothers and sisters from 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 trauma from uh, from um, sort of a, a mental prison and all yes. kinds of things, a spiritual prison. Like that's there's just a, a great move that I think the black church was able to do to to bring Christianity Huge. Um, right closer toward what it's supposed to be. Right. Yeah, it's a good still, there are some of us who are still waiting for it to, to, to show up, but at, but in the meantime, in between time, we're, we're working through it for sure. Anyway, you were talking about the C and the continuum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, I, I think part of the power of the Black church tradition and, and really any um, sort of church community on the margins is that we have a, a more communal understanding of ourselves and the faith. So I always use the analogy, when I was in seminary, it was just a handful of Black Americans there, right? And if I did poorly on a test or an essay, that would reflect badly, not just on yeah. me, but also the handful of Black people there as well. Mm -hmm. But if, you know, my uh, white classmate did poorly, well, that's just John, you know, that's just Mark, whatever it might be, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so we have this sort of communal understanding that it's not just about individual behavior. And one of the things that I try to press is that, is that prejudice can work itself out, um, not just through people, but through policies as well. Hmm. And so much of what we're dealing with as far as inequity and injustice has been enshrined into policy, whether that's gerrymandered districts that ensure you know, one demographic is always going to get their way, uh, politically speaking, whether that is uh, historically redlining, which has, you know, ongoing effects into the present, whether that is uh, disparities in um, sentencing in the criminal justice system, uh, whether that is the preponderance of black people on death row, right? Like that, none of those things requires a one individual with malicious intent. All you have to do is let the system operate the way it was set up. And it's going to have disproportionately negative impacts on black and brown people. So that's what I'm trying to get at with the, with the whole idea of commitment is like, you know, make friends, have, 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 have your black friend, whatever, have that deep heart to heart conversation over coffee or tea. That's great. Yeah. But don't for a second think that that's enough because that's not, those aren't the only ways in which racism was inscribed in our country. And so we actually have to have a broader approach. And then I give several, a lot of sort of policy yeah. recommendations from immigration reform to advocating for voting rights to even, uh, you know, paying, paying reparations. Like you can, once you, once you have that paradigm, you can run the gamut of ways to fight racism. Yeah. And that's the piece is you got to have that paradigm. 
which I would imagine, again, going through the, the first part of your book and even much of where people find the conversation around uh, building awareness, right? Like just being able to mentally get your mind, uh, we, we talk about reorientation, like just reorienting to your mind around the things that uh, that are going on historically mm. and personally and, you know, relationally uh, in our society. Um, that, that gets you started down that paradigm of where you're actually owning some of the things historically that have happened. And then and when you get into those relationships with people, now you're you're locking arms with people and you're starting to you're starting to create a new sort of approach to the way you think about people and you're saying you're, your people are my people now, right? And so now you've got this new thing. And and it's only in in that sort of in some ways that paradigm helps move to okay, if your people are my people, then when I see quote unquote, my people experiencing injustice that I need to do something that's about right. that because that's how we do it. Uh, and I really appreciate the last part of your book because I know that's a piece that 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 people are always asking for. And you just give a lot of really good examples in there. I mean, things that, that churches can do. I was thinking about the the, the freedom school that you, you talked mm-hmm. about, there, which I thought was just, a, just such a great thing, you know, such a, a great opportunity for churches, even across cultures and, and races in different communities to just collaborate on, right? Like to yes. go, these are yes. these are our kids. Let's let's do something together in the summer, if you will, and, and create some some freedom schools in that sense. And, uh, and a so fantastic a, opportunity for white people to follow the lead of black people. That's exactly like, right. <laughs> to do a freedom school, if you're a predominantly white church, you need to partner with and have the, a black church or black church fellowships lead that thing. Right. And this is a wonderful opportunity for you to come alongside and support and provide resources in ways that you just, you know, you don't have practice doing, quite honestly, in a white supremacist society. And um, to go back just a little bit to uh, relationships, it, it's seldom that I get to express... Um, you know, sort of speak directly to black audiences, uh, but but I will on on your show because of who you are, um, and I know how you handle these conversations. But I think we have to be real honest that um, black folks have to sort of strategically maintain relationships with white folks. I say strategically mm-hmm. because I'm not advocating that that we remain in toxic relationships. Got it. Whether church communities or individual relationships. But there is the very real temptation to um, get 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 in our in our zeal for racial justice, uh, completely shut ourselves off from people, particularly white people uh, who might come from a, a different background, a different perspective, but who are on the way. Right. Yeah. So so maybe this yeah. is more about. Cultivating. Um, sort of the the spiritual fruit of patience. I'm not talking about people who don't want to be convinced. Yeah. I'm not talking about people who are trolling. I'm talking about people who who just got got you know the light bulb just turned on yeah, 15 sure. minutes ago, right? Yeah. Um, there has to be space somewhere for that, and I think it's actually sanctifying. It has been sanctifying for me to be in relationships with people who still watch Fox news. Yeah. But also are, are listening and watching the world and they're worried and they're concerned and they don't want to be racist, but they is brand new. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. any of that make sense? No, yeah, look, I think, look, listen, yeah. I think, I think, I think what you're saying, like for me, what I'm hearing from the, from the previous comment about kind of the motivations 
if you will. What I'm hearing is there's a self-focus and there's like this sort of others focus. And so with the uh, in in both for everybody, like in the previous scenario, the the white person they may not want to do everything that needs to be done because a relationship does enough to soothe themselves and their own consciousness. And so the center of the conversation is them. And so they only, they only move forward with that. And in the black, similar to what you just said, in the black conversation, we could look at ourselves and think, okay, I have the right to feel and be and, and negate and push out anyone who doesn't feel exactly the way I do either, even because I'm right. And that, that also feels more about the individual than the actual mission of yes. getting this thing together. And I think, I think there's a call to check for everybody in the conversation to check our motivation. Is this really about making me feel better mm. or is it really about solving the actual problem? Because if it becomes about solving the actual problem, the white person's, will go further than just a relationship. They will move into the justice and the policies and the, and the, your people are my people. But if it's just about making me not feel like a villain, or I don't I want to get rid of my guilt, then I'm just going to do enough to get rid of the guilt. And the same thing with the black. The black's like, listen, I have the right to be upset and separate yeah. from you. So as soon as you come to me with your humility, I'm going to use my opportunity and my right to express my dissent. And well, that doesn't always like you said, in tox- uh, non-toxic relationships, produced a sort of pathway toward a solution that we want to be. So everybody's got a little work right, to right, do as, right. we, as, we, as we check our motivations. And it's not, it's not reverse racism, right? Like, watch out, Black people, no pressure. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't, no, that's no, not, agree. I don't buy into that. Um, but I think it's in Isaiah where, you know, a messianic prophecy where it says, you know, a broken reed he will not break in a, in a smoldering candle he will not extinguish, right? Like, there's a gentleness and a patience with 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 the delicateness of our souls, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I also think there is a danger to our own souls in distancing ourselves from the other, whoever the other might be. Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, so, so if you're wealthy, there's a big danger in being so distant from people who are low wealth that you dehumanize them. If you're white, there's a real danger in distancing yourself so much from black people that you dehumanize them. And for black people, and this is in a Christian frame, this is not going to sell well in the popular media, right? <laughs> no, for sure, This yeah. is a Christian frame, but if you're right. black, there's a danger in distancing yourself or caricaturing white people so much that you de- dehumanize them. And so I live in the deep South. It's just black and white. I mean, there's a small Latino, small Asian population, but mainly black and white. Um, I have to interact with black people and, and um, white people, not, no, not necessarily because lots of reasons, but as a black person, I got to interact with white people. Mm, and that is tough. That is real tough, especially around elections and whatnot. But at the same time, I think it gives me actual insight into racial dynamics and insight into what's happening in my own soul. So, yeah. Well, and look, you talk about it's, 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 it's very much a Christian concept, right? And really what that, what that leads to is what is the end game in some ways, mm. or not even the end game as much as the end product of what we're actually heading toward. Yeah. What do you actually uh, want to go? Yeah. Well, and, and not even the one, it's like, where are we, where are we going? 
right? Because yeah. I think so many times we're like, hey, where do I want to go? But I think the Bible, if we talk about, you know, we look at the, the bookends of the church age, right? We start with the Holy Spirit and what happened at Pentecost. And then we look at uh, ourselves uh, in Revelation 7, 9, and we find ourselves in the throne room with all of tribes, tongues, and nations. We're moving towards that. And so this is where I go back to where we talk about diversity is not an end, but it's a means to an end. That the fact that God surrounds himself in his throne room with all tribes, tongues, and nations, he is, he is giving credibility to that. He is giving intentionality that he's mm. saying, this is important. This is real. This is actually how it's supposed to be. And, and so it's visual. if it's, and, and, mm-hmm. if, and it, the reason it's supposed to be because there's something there in which we all need one another, because God is a, he is a relational paratheretic God, right? Like he is all about like engaging with each other where we constitute one another, right? In that sort of sense. So he's saying, I, you guys are actually need each other. It's the Ubuntu, right? Like you need each other to exist. So to, to walk away, even as a black man from my white brothers and sisters, I'm actually walking away from part of myself mm. and I'm actually walking away from part of what God is trying to create with me. So, so if the, if the diversity stops that, Hey, we're just getting people uh, in a room together. Uh, it's, it's, it becomes just an end, but the means is it's within diversity that I find out more about myself. I find out more about others. I find out more about God and as a, it's sort of evangelistic, sort of, yeah. as an evangelistic sort of John 17, Jesus, unity of the church and the power of the unity of the church, that I actually participate in modeling the true mm-hmm. image of who God is on this planet. So it doesn't make sense. We talk about it here, uh, Jamar, as a threat. We talk about it as a tapestry. We talk about this whole thing, threaded yeah. into tapestry. And right, and you, a tapestry uh, is trying to, to give you a picture. And if you only have red, then you're just getting red. If you only mm. have brown, you're just getting brown. You need all the colors, and in this conversation, all the cultures and races, to actually, to actually display the true yeah, picture. And so good. you can't un, you, once you the reason you have a tapestry is because you have to weave together. That's hmm. some work, right? Working to weave together so that you create the picture. But nobody wants a tapestry in which it's all frayed and the pieces aren't connected, and and you know this piece is sliced up over here. That doesn't make sense. It's not the picture. So we need each other here. And so it behooves us as black people, even as hard as it is. And you and I, we're all sitting here and we're going this, what you're talking about is hard sometimes. Sometimes you just want to, you just want to take a black break and you're like, I'm just out. Which Uh, is legit. Yeah. For a break. (laughs) Now look, you you may not know this, but it's actually not legit for Antoine and I, because we both have white wives. So there's no... There ain't no break. Ain't no break at all. You know what I'm saying? Nor do, hey baby, nor do I want there to be a break. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's she like, oh, she come home tonight. She's like, oh, she so we, the door. we looking for a break, huh? That's what we're doing? We looking for a break? I tell you I what. Not yeah. getting y'all in trouble. I got some ideas about a break. Yeah. Great. Uh, yeah. That's for you, right. though. This that's is for right. you that's and the right. break that's that you right. need. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and give you that. Uh, here's, here's the thing. We talk about caveats, right? We, we, I'm, I'm making caveats after caveat because I want the hearers to understand these relationships and the reason why you all don't need a break from your wives is because their relationships based on equity. Right. Yeah. And that has been the missing piece in so much of the relational aspect of racial reconciliation. Because honestly, you can look at the antebellum South mm-hmm. and yeah. black and white people had relationships. Yeah. They were close uh, white, together. Yeah, they, 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 they were in proximity. They, yeah. they literally worked together. Um, white plantation owners forced relationships, right? Yeah. Like mm. it, it, it wasn't interaction. 
that was missing. It was yeah, equity, equity that was missing. And that's when that's 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 the that's the change. That's the shift. When I'm saying stay in relationship with people who are different, they have to be relationships based on equity. And that makes all the difference. That's good, yeah. man. Right like, on. This, it's like it's uh, like a Scruffy's part of the family, but he don't he don't get no say. Come on. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> you know, Scruffy, he's he got we got great, we love Scruffy. He's our dog, he's our pet, but he he, he ain't the same as can I give as, you a real a perfect example done and sons. of that? What you just said, Antoine, was um when I was in seminary, we had uh just had so the the movie and the book, The Help. Um, I think it's Catherine Socket, uh it, it takes place in Jackson, Mississippi, where I went to uh, seminary. And so we had just watched the movie and then had a group discussion with uh, mm-hmm. seminary students on campus. And I think it was a day or two later, somebody from the administration had heard about it. And he was supportive and everything, but he was an older white man. And he told me without any hint of embarrassment, he said, when I was growing up, we had the help and we treated her just like family. We loved her. But the reason I was reminded yeah. of that was because you said, you know, we treat the family pet like family, yeah. Yeah. but there's yeah. no equity there. There's yeah, no right. say there, you know, and I just wanted to say to this guy, I didn't, but I just wanted to say to this guy, how many times did you go over to her house? Mm-hmm. Did you celebrate her kids' birthdays? You know, do you know what's actually going on in her life or because she comes to her job with the person who's writing her paycheck and she's yeah. friendly, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, just a bro. requirement for survival, you know? Yeah, That's man, absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, this is, I, I, I want to just get a little bit of time with you on the other side of this, just for our, our insiders. Uh, but man, good convo, bro. I mean, it's, it's always a pleasure having you, uh, uh, on the show. I feel, and, like, I, and, I feel like I just need to go get, I'm the next in line to get my hair cut. Now we just had a, we had a barbershop conversation for a minute. <laughs> oh, I was trying to figure out like, we need to cover sounds. We're going to get to combo. For sure. The book is How to Fight Racism, Courageous Christianity, and the Journey Toward Racial Justice. We've been talking with the author of that book and uh, New York's bestseller, uh, Mr. Jamar Tisby. Jamar, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, we're going to have you stick around just for a minute, just because I want to get a couple of extra things, but uh, we, we're glad that you've been on here. For those of you who are listening, uh, don't forget to check out wearethreaded.org and check out all the things we got going on. We've got our prayer project that's happening right now. We have got uh, the conference that's coming up. Get your tickets now. You got to get them. It's going to be wild. Jamon. And then uh, we've got our community event after that. And then there's more even after that. But we don't want to overwhelm you with all the stuff. So check us out. Wearethreaded.org. Uh, you've been listening to Colored Commentary. As we say all the time, the world is a colorful place full of colorful people. And we want to give you an opportunity to peek inside and peek through the lenses of all people of all different colors so that you can see what's going on. And as you go through your life, you walk around, make sure that you stay colored. You have been listening to Colored Commentary, powered by Threaded, a biblical reconciliation ministry. To find out more about Threaded and Colored Commentary, go to wearethreaded.org forward slash podcast. And to continue today's conversation, follow us on Twitter at Colored Comments.